time for breakfast. Trauma for Breakfast is a crowded table of wounded children, parents, spouses, caregivers, and weary souls. Together, we join in honest conversations about the behaviors and challenges of parenting and working with children who've experienced trauma. There's always room for one more at the table to share in the stories, science, and healing as we learn to better understand and care for each other. We are a table without shame or judgment because life can be hard and lonely, and we all know that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I'm Stacy. I'm a mother of seven children and have fostered for over 13 years. As an RN and former public school teacher, I quickly realized this type of parenting was not taught in a textbook or class. Let's learn together to parent different, not harder. Welcome to Trauma for Breakfast. Welcome to the show. I am Stacy Gagnon, your host um, for this podcast, Trauma for Breakfast. And I am excited about my guest today. Her name is Jamie Briscoe. Jamie is a clinical mental health counselor at Choices and Changes. And um, she was a former elementary school teacher. So she comes to us with a lot of knowledge, but a lot of personal knowledge in the topic at hand. Today, we're going to be talking about grief. And I, I really want Jamie to just jump in and tell us about herself more because I, I love my, when my guests can give us their story and their part rather than me reading off a page. So welcome, Jamie. Stacy, thanks so much for having me. It's such an honor and a privilege to be able to join you at this very crowded table, um, the Trauma for Breakfast. So I am a therapist and I began work a little over two years ago in the field. But before that, my journey started in counseling. I just felt the, the a very strong desire to become a therapist when my oldest daughter was born. And later, I actually was diagnosed with breast cancer uh, when my daughters were three and six. And that really began to stir in my heart this desire to really help others through painful circumstances that they might find themselves in. And truly, the diagnosis of breast cancer was a moment uh, where grief came knocking. And there was a lot of of grief and loss during that season, Um, loss of expectations, loss of hope and future, what our future might look like. Um, Stacey, it took about a month for us to figure out um, exactly where the breast cancer had spread. It was in some lymph nodes, um, but thankfully not anywhere else in my body. But for that month, we really had to sort of just walk that journey, not knowing what the outcome would be. Would I have six months with my daughters? Would my daughters grow up without a mother? We just really had to to just journey through that great unknown and a lot of grief. I really appreciate you talking about your grief in a cancer diagnosis, because I think a lot of times as a society, we want to pin the idea of grief onto death. You know, you are grieving if you lot with the loss of someone that you love. But I think grief comes in so many forms. Can you maybe just talk a little bit about that? What what that grief looks like with breast cancer or with something else? Yes. So um, this is a really cool piece uh, that I want to share real quickly before we dive in uh, a little bit more about grief and loss. The DSM is uh, the big giant book that therapists use to diagnose uh, mental illness. And the COVID pandemic actually brought to the surface the need for a long-term diagnosis for grief. And um, this diagnosis is really geared towards the loss of a loved one. 
But for kids and teens, it's six months after the loss of a loved one. And for adults, it's a year after. So if we're still experiencing uh, difficulty, impairment, and daily functioning due to the grief, a lot of people were being misdiagnosed with depression or something else. But but really, um, it, starting in March in 2022, 20, uh, we'll be able to use that diagnosis to really be able to tailor what what needs to happen for people in order to have the best practice for for grieving and and moving through grief. So talk to me then about what's the difference between grief and depression? Yes. So that's an important piece. Um, Depression is is generally pervasive. It usually um, the sorrow and the sadness touch on every part. Um, There are some similarities, though. People who are grieving might have a lack of desire to plug into things that they used to love. Maybe someone stops working out or running with a friend. Um, Maybe someone um, decides not to attend social events or family gatherings. So those can be similar, but with grieving, it really does go back to the loss of a loved one. The the sadness and the emotions and the difficulty uh, in the daily functioning really goes back to the loss of the loved one. So I'm going to tell you that a lot of that sounds like I was feeling right after the adoption of one of our children. I had built up this humongous expectation in bringing my child home from another country. And, and I remember spending months and months feeling like I couldn't get out of bed, feeling like I didn't want to get out of bed, not wanting to even be a parent hardly. And I, I look back at that and I think, it was something not talked about. It was like this grief in adoption. I I think that that's something that needs to be brought out, especially when we're working with kids with trauma backgrounds is understanding that there is grief, deep grief at times post-adoption. Absolutely, Stacy. So, and, and foster and adoptive families can experience this in so many ways. And it sounds like you just shared sort of that activating event that caused that grief to really be um, brought out in, in your life when you brought your son home. But, but these other pieces, um, these other activating events could be even the pain of infertility or the pain and silence of, of walking this journey of hoping to bring a child home uh, or waiting, um, the expectation that it will happen by a certain time and then, and then a year later you're still waiting. And so, but even bringing the child home, it sounds like that was your experience. The moment that you brought your child home, it was very difficult to be able to adjust. I also think that expectation of community was hard as well, because when we brought our, my son home, what I had thought it was going to be, wasn't like you have this, whether you believe want to or not, you end up building this picture of what you think the adoption will look like and what your child is going to be like. And then you bring home this child that honestly has never even met you and you've never met. There's grieving on their part as well as yours, but there's the expectation by community that, oh my gosh, we helped you. We came alongside of you. You picked to do this. You chose this. Mm. Why would you be sad? Why would you be sad? And that's one of the things I struggled the most in was putting on the happy face every day and feeling like I was such a fraud. Because you should be joyful. This yes. is the moment that everyone has helped you get to. And everyone feels like 
they've played this part to have this finality of this moment in your family's life to bring this child into your home. I think for me, going back to the breast cancer battle, there was a time period that was very vital for me to go through the lamenting process. And uh, some of you may be familiar with lamenting, but um, the Webster Dictionary calls it a crying out in grief, a wailing, an expression of sorrow, of mourning or regret. And I just think so many times those who love us are rushing us through the painful experience to get us through to the other side because they don't want to experience us in pain. And yet there is such purpose and there is such importance in being in that lamenting stage and saying, this is not what I expected. This is not how I thought this would go. I did not ask for this. I remember thinking many times, I did not ask for this diagnosis. My husband is the eternal optimist in our family, and he uh, wanted very quickly to count the blessings <laughs> of all the things that were good about this cancer diagnosis. And uh, I had to really, you know, share with him authentically, look, this is not where I am. I am not ready to count the blessings, and that is okay. Sometimes our loved ones want to rush us through the pain because they don't want to see us in pain, but it is vital to our journey to be in the pain and to identify with that and to have, and to have the, the no judgment, no judgment of our pain. I absolutely love what you said in that because it, it is so true. And I see myself doing it to other people where I want to point out like, oh, but it's it's you've got this going on or, oh, this blessing. It's so good. Instead of being comfortable to sit in the lament. And I know for myself, it would, like I said, it was months and months of just struggling. And, and for me, I am very much a, a go-getter, probably borderline hyperactive person. And so it felt like I got stopped in my tracks mm -hmm. and was walking through a molasses just a cup filled with molasses every day. Like I just, in my brain felt foggy. And I, I, I wish I would have known at the time that post-adoption grief or post-adoption depression was real. I wish I would have known at the time that it was okay to have these feelings because around me, people were rejoicing in this mm. beautiful picture of what is supposed to be so amazing where I internally was struggling thinking, what in the heck have I done? I get like how grief can encompass so many things. And I think you hit that nail on the head when you said it's, it's what we have, that we have this expectation and then it is not only not met, but almost derailed. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is like so hard because I, I agree, you have to just sit in it. So what does that look like sitting in that and at what point is a friend or a spouse or a loved one, am I saying, okay, this is becoming concerning? Yeah. So first I think we have to be looking for the people in our life, whether that's our spouse, a mom, a best friend that we have built trust with, that we can ask them or tell them, look, I'm not doing well this is what I need from you. So oftentimes we just expect our loved ones to know what we need. And so even just sharing with them, 
And, and again, I say this is with someone that you've built trust with because we don't, we, we can't just tell everyone in our community, this is so hard and we're struggling because you will get a lot of just pray more or just have faith. It'll all work out. Mm-hmm. And so we, we do want to just stick with those um, that, that we do have trust built with and be able to tell them what we need. You know, I'm really struggling here. I am in, I am in this place of lamenting and, and saying, I just need someone to be here with me. I don't really need anyone to fix this. I don't need a placated statement. I just need someone to identify that this is hard and you're bearing witness to my pain. It's it's so funny how you talked about that. I This whole um, podcast was called Trauma for Breakfast because at a moment when I was sitting in that space of grief, I remember calling my support friend and saying like, I can't do this. And she literally showed up at my house with a cup of coffee and breakfast in a bag. And every day for like a week sat with me in that space and really didn't say much of anything. She would walk around cleaning in my kitchen. She would be playing with my kids, but just being present. And I think one thing that I've learned just with my journey through adoption, foster care and and parenting in general is when you look for a support person, You have to be careful that your support person is not only your spouse or the person significant other living with you, because when you go through crisis in your home, like what we were going through, two drowning people cannot save each other. And so when my husband and I hit a space of just crisis in um, with one of our kids, we recognized that we were each other's support system. Well, when you are drowning and when you are struggling in deep grief, but from unmet expectations or fear, you cannot grab onto the other person drowning because it gets ugly. And so my husband and I, over the past few years, have made a very pointed effort to figure out who in our life we can openly share the hard things with, like Jamie said, who we can trust to carry that information And then I'm going to add one caveat to that. The person that you trust to carry that information needs to also point you back to love because if you have someone you share with who continues to tear down, maybe if it's your adopted child or maybe it's your foster child or maybe it's your husband and says, you're right, get rid of them or you're right, that's horrible, that's unforgivable, that isn't helping you. You need someone to keep pointing you back to love and acceptance and being okay in the moment, not trying to have you escape the moment or tear down whatever you're struggling within. That's a great point, Stacy. Yeah. We really need people who are going to pour in when we're going through crisis. And you're right. You and your husband were experiencing the crisis at the same time. And so it really is important to look outside of the family home and find someone that's trustworthy that will be able to pour in. I heard an article when I was first diagnosed about people need to pour in and dump out. So we need to pour in the blessings and the goodness to those who are struggling. And then those who are struggling in the crisis need to be able to have people that they can dump out to. So it sounds like what you're saying, Stacey, mm-hmm. you find that friend to be able to dump out the hard, who's going to be there with you and just really bear witness to your pain. But then they're pouring in the yep. goodness. See the good. Absolutely. Well, 
I know this is a, a, a bit of a quick, this has gone quickly, Jamie, but what I'm excited about is we actually have a part two to this series. And what we're gonna do in part two is something that we haven't done on this podcast. Jamie's actually gonna walk me through a grief exercise. And hopefully I don't open up and start bawling my eyes out on the podcast. That would probably be a whole grieving in itself. <laughs> but we hope you come back and join us for part two of Good Grief on Trauma for Breakfast. And thank you, Jamie. We've learned so much already. Stacey, thanks so much for having me. It's been, it's been a joy to be here. We're so thankful that you all shared in today's conversation. We are always here and ready to set one more place at the table. Thanks for joining us on Trauma for Breakfast. Trauma for Breakfast is brought to you and supported by Matt Force, working together to reduce substance abuse, and Yavapai County Community Health Services, working toward healthier communities.